Hello and welcome to Season 3 of the E3 Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about building science, healthy homes, architecture, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. Thanks for tuning back in again this week for part two with Steve Basic on the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to have him on. Our conversation was so much fun. I couldn't cut anything out, so I thought you guys deserved two parts. So enjoy. I have one project that they, the the comment you just made where they said, yeah, we, we might wait about six months and see what the construction materials do. And I guess, you know, the, the, the budget on the house is probably like 1.5. So, you know, if you wait and the numbers come down, it might come down to 1.4 or 1.3 and a half. Right. Um, it's not coming down to one. Right. So, but they, they might save a little bit of money on, on waiting, but yeah. I only had one project that got put on hold for a very short period of time. And that was more to do with the banks kind of freaking out because they all of a sudden had to put out all these PPP loans and everything else. And they were, they kind of halted funding for things, not knowing what was going to happen. And so it was actually more of a funding source issue uh, for development than it was that the owner themselves was like, Ooh, I don't know about this. And it, it got started again, you know, shortly thereafter, once everything kind of leveled out a little bit. But um, other than that, everybody else, I actually had projects that people put on hold, jump back on board. So (laughs) it went, oh yeah, they come back on board and they think you're going to start tomorrow. It's like, Hey, Steve, I know we've been gone away for six months, but uh, we're ready ready to roll. Can, can we, do you think we can get a permit in the next couple of weeks? It's like, no, that's another thing you wish people knew or understood. So I started writing into my contracts. There's a restart fee and there's a schedule reallocation. Like it's totally fine if you need to put your project on hold. I get it. Things happen, whatever. But I also need you to understand that we're going to fill our schedule with other things. And that if we have to jump back into your project six months later, we need to spend some time with it to be like, okay, well, where were we at and what were we doing and, you know, what needs to change? And you've had six months to think about it. So now you have new ideas is for me, it's just kind of a reminder to people. If like, if this happens, it's totally fine, but. Well, I think we need to do stuff like that because we need to take them. We need people to take it serious. Yeah. Right. I mean, I knew some builders that would do some work without like taking a retainer or any money. And I was like, really? And, and then there's the flip side. Um, I remember this one project we were doing and the builder is sitting there and it, we're kind of kicking off the project construction and the homeowner goes, you know, what, remind me, what was that uh, the retainer for or the initial deposit? And he's like, oh, 185K. And I was sitting there going, wow. And we got outside and I said, hey, Andrew, I said, I'm not, I'm not trying to pry. I'm just trying to learn. But I mean, I know builders, they ask for 20K, 30K. Right. stuff like that 185k i gotta tell you i was a little bit surprised to hear that he goes steve i'm gonna have an excavator there we're gonna we're we're cutting down the trees all that we're gonna excavate that property i'm gonna have a foundation in there in about 10 days have it backfilled stone and get the framing dropped and the windows ordered he goes i'm gonna spend that 180 grand in the next 10 days yep he goes it's not i'm not ripping them off he goes and I, and and he said, which I thought was a really great point. If they're not prepared to write a hundred eighty thousand dollar check to kick off this project, they're not prepared to do this project. Right. 
right? So I was like, yeah, you're you're right there. I got that. Yeah. I'm down with that. So, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely interesting, and and you know, for me, I I, I know you're aware of it, but like, in, instead of feeling like maybe I should slow down and take life easy and do things. I, I now have my daughter working with me. So it's almost like the ramp got steeper. Yep. And it's like, you know, okay, we really got to crank this out and get her up to speed and get some really cool projects. And, and then I don't know if you know, but my son is in his third year of architecture. I didn't know that both of your kids yeah. went to architecture school. Yeah. So he, uh, he'll be done. Uh, he'll, he'll finish his third year in May and he has two more after that. And so I, I teased Lexi that, uh, I said, you know, I got to get you up to speed in the next two years. She's like, what do you mean two years? And I said, well, cause when your brother comes on board, I am not even having a conversation with him. He's totally your problem. And she <laughs> goes, no, that's, that's not, she goes, that's not fair, dad. She's like, I, that's not what I signed up for. Wait a second. Yeah, that's that's not what I signed up for. But uh, but yeah, he uh, he's down there and he's he's actually working really hard. Wait till you see his sweet sixteen wall. He's assignment. working on his wall section. I can't wait yeah. to see it. He uh, he's uh, he's doing really really good, and he's got a little bit of a coach from his sister, so she's keeping him straight and narrow. Um, but they won't even let me get in. They're like, Dad, you're not even getting involved. We got this. I was like, okay. Makes you fun. wonder how much of architecture is family business too, right? So my husband and I don't have kids, but my niece is 15 and she sent me this thing. She's like, Hey, I want to take, you know, some of these drafting classes in high school. And, um, I need a letter of referral for me to get into this program. Will you write it? And, you know, at first a couple of years ago, I thought, Oh, she's not really interested in it. Right. They're young. They're interested in all kinds of things. And she has stuck with it for, you know, I, I don't know if it's accessibility, right. People don't know what they can get into until someone kind of presents it to them. So she's familiar with me and what I do and enjoying what I do and um that I think has made her kind of interested in it so it's fascinating to me that both of your kids are <laughs> went to architectural same school um no Lexi went to Roger Williams and Stevos is down in Alabama at Auburn nice so they're totally different um and and the schools are totally different like Lexi would have died if she went to a school like Auburn you know, 60,000 students or something crazy. It's like, it, it's just not her world. She, Roger Williams with, you know, 8,000 students, that's her world. Nice, small, compact. I wonder if that's relatively. first kid, second kid thing. My sister didn't go to architecture school. Well, I have a third, my oldest daughter thought about architecture school. I, I told her no. <laughs> you told her no? Oh, I told her no. I said, you now? just, you know, I said, there? you don't have it. You just don't have it. <laughs> it's um, nothing against you but when I think of all the characteristics you need to be an architect and then I think of you I don't see much alignment Um, yeah because you really have to enjoy it if you don't like it it is way too much work to not enjoy it and, and I'm sure you've run across it I I still have friends that like piss and moan about architecture it's like get out of it don't do it don't do it don't sit there and piss and moan about how much you hate it and going to work and, oh, I don't get paid enough and this and that. Go do something else then. 
I think that about a lot of people though. I hear that all the time. Everybody who complains about their job, I'm like, then you're not doing the right job. Try something else. Yeah. I mean, there's not many. So question for you, becoming an architect, was this like, Hey, you're in high school and Emily's sitting there thinking, okay, someday I'm going to be an architect. What's my path? How do I get there? And was it kind of planned or did you just fall into it back into it? Funny story. Um, so when I was in high school, we did Habitat for Humanity type stuff. Um, so my grandfather was a contractor and we would go do these Habitat for Human things. And my dad is a dairy farmer. So I grew up in a farming family and, um, in Maine, in Pennsylvania, my husband is from Maine. So, um, and I, so in high school, I took a lot I'm finding out now that the high school I went to was actually really great. And I had no idea. Um, We had a very good academic program. We had great sports programs, but we also had an ag department and we had construction tech. And so I took a lot of construction tech classes, wood shop um, drafting. And so I think it was my senior year and I was taking drafting and uh, my drafting teacher said, well, yeah, but architecture school is really hard. And I was like, challenge accepted. I'll do that. That was how I went to architecture school. As an 18 year old, I had no idea what to expect. Um, and I went to Penn State, which was, my sister went to a really small school and I went to Penn State, which has 45,000 students at Maine campus. Now, granted of that 45,000 students, there were only a couple hundred in the architecture department. And if anybody knows anything about architecture school, you kind of live in that building. You don't leave it very often. <laughs> But yeah, farm. I I actually grew up, and my first job was well, second job was working on a farm. I tell everybody this is an interesting story. Um, my very first job. My dad is forty two years older than me. My very first job was doing what my dad did for his first job. It was the same job, <laughs> the same place, working for the same guy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it was pretty interesting. Um, and then I went and worked on a farm for a while. So I know all about dairy farm is, is actually one of the more exciting jobs that I sit back and go, you know, that was just a lot of fun as a teenager working on a dairy farm, milking cows, hanging in the summer, splitting wood in the fall. It's like all, all these kinds of things. You get to play with tractors and mechanical equipment and chainsaws and all that stuff. You get to have hay fights with your buddies in the barn. So there's everything about it was, that that was a cool job. Yeah. My, my dad doesn't own the farm. Um, He's been the herdsman uh, there for a long time, which allows our, allowed our family to travel and do other things too. But he comes from, my dad comes from a farming family. So like his sister has a produce farm and, you know, we grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania and anybody that knows anything about Lancaster, it's just some of the best farmland in the country. One of my first jobs was actually picking strawberries at my, my dad's sister's uh, produce farm. Right. I have a big project in, uh, I think it's, is it Chester Springs? Something like that. It's, it's right there. We drove through, I drove through Lancaster to get there, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting to hear people's stories because I'm sure you get this all the time too. It's, it's always fun talking to other architects because we have a lot of similar stories, I'm sure. But (laughs) if I had a literally, and, and this is a cliche statement, I know, but if I had a dollar for every time somebody told me they thought about being an architect, 
Like, we all be like, rich. Hey, what do you do? I'm an architect. Oh, you know what? When I was in high school, I thought about being an architect. And it's like, yeah, really, go on. I've I've never heard this before. I've never heard this story before. <laughs> yeah. Like, go ahead. You know, you hear you hear that all the time. And then the end of that statement often goes to, but it seemed like too much math. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I was never now, why good is that at the math. end of the story all the time. I stopped math and like the second semester we were done with all of our math like i mean I you have to understand math related things right we had to take structures classes yeah. we did stuff with calculus whatever but like at penn state you could take the history of math you didn't even have to do math you could take the history of math as your gen mm -hmm. ed listen if you hate reading and writing don't go into architecture because it's not even drawing it's like all the reading you have to do it's like here read this book We'll talk about it next week. And it's like, really? You got to read all these pages next week? <laughs> I'm not a big book guy. I, my, the number of books, unfortunately, that I've read cover to cover, I can, I might, I might need a third hand. To, uh, to <laughs> I but love right. books. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I have some friends and stuff that are read and it's like, it's like, what are you doing? Oh, just finishing up this book today. It's like, didn't you just start that yesterday? It's like, oh yeah. I read a book in two days. It's like, really? Like I have a book that I'm probably in year four on and I'm about three quarters of the way through it. Is so, it a, is it a book that you're reading? Cause it's interesting or is it like a architecture book? <laughs> no, I don't read art. It's funny. I don't read architecture books. What I like to read is success philosophy. I read a lot of business books. Yeah. It's not quite business. Yeah, this one's called one, one. It's like the the one thing that you should be concerned about. And the guy's basic premise is, you know, the whole idea of multitasking and stuff. Throw it out the window. Don't multitask. It's, it's stupid idea. Don't yeah. believe in it. Don't don't try and do it. It's dumb. Focus. Find that one thing that's important, and make that happen, and everything else will fall into place. And so it's a it's a really good book on that. I like the. Uh, I, I did get in a little bit of a reading spree there with, the, is it Malcolm Gladwell? He wrote um, Tipping Point, Outliers, mm -hmm. and that whole series. I read those. Those are interesting to me, but th that's like success philosophy, right? What's the, what's the tipping point of a business? Why did, uh, um, like, why is Apple successful? And there was the, what's the company is called Magic Something. That, oh um i just i just watched a documentary on it not too long ago but basically this guy it was i forget it magic's in their name but he is walking around the stage holding up a tablet which is an ipad and saying you know this is where technology is going and this and that and then the company went out of business because nobody bought it the stuff was too expensive and then a year later apple comes out with the ipad and you know the tipping point it it goes off the scales and they're selling gazillions of dollars of iPads and everybody and his brother has one now. Yeah. Right? It's the same. Um, I think the E-Myth book talks about McDonald's, right? And it's like, why was McDonald's so successful? And it's not particularly that the food at McDonald's is any good. It's that they have a system set up where this expectation is the same every time, right? Like, you yeah. know what you're going to get when you go there. You don't necessarily have high hopes for it being like the most delicious meal that you've ever eaten in your life. No, you know exactly what you're going to get when you go there. 
<laughs> and we are and, and McDonald's did such a good job engineering it. I I will admit that I'll go into McDonald's and say, okay, I'm gonna get something different today. And I don't. <laughs> I get exactly the same meal I got last time. Why? For the very reason you just spoke of. I know exactly what it's gonna taste like. And it's because I thought about it, that's what I'm craving. I don't want to veer from it. I'm getting that and bang, yep. you get it. And they they are magnificent at that. I uh, I just did a project a couple of years ago with a, a gentleman that teaches entrepreneurship and innovation at Babson College. And so I, I had the opportunity. One of, one of the great things of being an architect, especially residential, is you get to meet interesting people and you probably end up spending a bunch of time with them that you can get other stories and kind of side note information. But in, in talking with him, it was really cool because he's written books about like the theory of innovation and um, scaling businesses and all of this stuff. So he was just like, we'd go on a ride down to the house we were building for him was a, a, a vacation house down on the Cape. But on the drive down, like he would go through the whole chronology of every decision people at Apple made and why that was the right decision, why that was the wrong decision, why that harmed them, what they should have thought about. And it's like, this is just crazy that somebody understands it at that level. But that's no different than somebody coming to us and asking us about a house and we get into the nitty gritty on specs of insulation or something. It's true. So everybody's got their, their thing, but I, I find that really interesting in the, the people that, and, and the other thing that I find, you know, that I would ask you is that I, I find the people that are the most successful that I work with probably make the best clients. Yep. I think um, people who own their own businesses or are high enough up in the chain in this, in a somewhat successful business, really understand the value of what their team brings and you get to have these great conversations instead of just questioning why we make every decision you get to have these great theoretical questions about all the things that you're doing because they respect that you're bringing something to the table yeah and the, those you know the the client that the the kind of anti-sharp client is the one that you know you, you walk into the meeting they say you know can we put walk-in closets in all the kids' bedrooms? And then you sit there and go, okay, but what's kind of driving this decision? Well, I was at my sister's house and she has all of, you know, all of their kids have walk-in closets. I just think that's a really good idea. And it's like, okay, we're going to add 150 square feet to this house because you want to match what your sister has in her house. Not because you think it's a good idea or there's some value there. It's you're just trying to do what she did. Or in the same respect, they take their plans to their family to get their input. Well, my sister said. <laughs> yeah, I tell I tell my clients, honestly, I tell them I, I exactly. They say, can you print out those plans? And I'll ask them, well, what do you need? Well, I'm, it's Thanksgiving. We're, I'm going over. I said, if you show them to any family member and come back with comments, I'm charging you double. Well, I tell them family, family members feel obligated to give you an opinion, whether they, they have a valid one or not, they're going to say, oh, I would never put the kitchen there. It's like, where the hell is that coming from? Tell your sister, shut up. I, I, I don't need her opinion. 
because I can come up with about 10 reasons on why that's the best place for the kitchen. And I know she doesn't have even one on why it isn't, but she's just feels obligated to have some level of opinion. Right. To, to tell you there's something wrong, right? Because if they are like, oh, I love this, then people are like, oh, well, but what have I missed, you know? So yeah, yeah, don't, I, I tell people, I, I might even put that in the contract. If there's any consulting with family members during the process, the price goes up. <laughs> price doubles. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's horrible. I, <laughs> it's I, more work for me to explain to you why you don't want that. <laughs> Yeah. And that's inevitably almost every project you have that conversation. It's like, Hey, Steve, we got a couple of questions. You know, we were with some friends over the weekend. We were looking at the plans and I'm like, Oh, here we go. <laughs> All right. What's your first dumb question? Let's listen to it. Um, but anyways, it's, uh, it's, it's fun. I, I, I come down on it, but I, like you said, I, I love what I do every day. I get up. I'm, I'm excited about work every day. I'm excited about what I get to do. One of the things I think I love about architecture that is very uh, analogous to why I loved working on the farm is that no day is exactly the same. Yeah. It's very rare, right? Like I might wake up one morning, go out to a job site, then go do a sales call and then go to a construction site, then come home and work on drawings. And then the next day I'm doing a podcast and I'm doing this and um, having a design meeting, or we're going to look at windows at the window showroom. And then the next day it's something different. So it's not like you wake up and do the same thing every day. There's always something new and exciting and different client. So it's a different approach. It's a different house, yeah. different thoughts. It uh, makes for exciting day every day and i think that's probably why you know my kids when they sit back and they said well yeah let's let's do that because dad's got it real easy and i i told them both i said i i greatly appreciate it. i think it's a privilege to have you guys follow along but my biggest fear is that i've made it look easier than it is <laughs> right and that was my fear with my niece i'm like Unfortunately, I think that you get to see some of the zoomy things that I do that are that look fun and interesting and you don't get to see all of the things that I do all day, which is hard, valuable, but still way harder. And, you know, like, I, are you sure this is this is what you think you might want to do? <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, going to the job site, walking around and all that stuff is really cool. It's fun. It's exciting. But having the conversation with a client on why we, you know, might not have those drawings finished by Monday, that's not as fun as visiting the job site, right. but they're, they're all part of the job. And, you know, I always tell clients, don't make your fire drill mine or the, the especially the closer builders too. And tell them oh, all the time. Don't. That was the best story that Jake said when he was on the podcast, he said, Steve called me one day was like four 30 in the morning. And I answered and said, do you know what time it is? And Steve said, don't answer the phone then. And I, 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 that was the best story, which then he followed up too with like, if your house is on fire, call the fire department. I am not the fire department. Everything else is, you know, not yeah. a, not a fire jake is great i mean he's, he's an exceptional builder we you know it, it's uh a privilege to work with him and 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 it's a real treat to work with him but it's also you know it's i get to play child i 
part of me never certainly wants to grow up and I will do things like call Jake like six times in a row until he answers. And then he's like, what the hell do you want? And it's like, oh, I, just, I got a couple of questions for you. He's like, really? And I was like, well, then you shouldn't answer the phone. He's like, but you called six times. I said, so ignore it six times. <laughs> I said, I'm just going to keep calling until you answer. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> so we, we, we do have, we do have a lot of fun. So I'm going to actually spend in the next, next week, I'm going down there and spending a better part, part of it with them, which is always a treat. We get to walk in. We always learn something from each other walking and talking and uh yeah he's uh you know he, and he's a uh, he's what i would call i use him as an exceptional example to the builders that say oh you can't do that you you know all that stuff at work might work up in new england but you can't do that here in kansas city or you can't do that here in texas it's like okay well let me tell you about a friend of mine that uh you know lives in backwards uh missouri and, and that's an i mean that in a good way not in a bad way um, but I said, he called me up one day and was asking about passive house. And I invited him. I said, come on up. And he did. And, you know, our first time we ever met was I gave him a tour of like two or three passive houses here in new England and went and looked at a bunch of stuff. And we've certainly been friends ever since. Um, but he now has people, you know, next week I'm going down there where we're, we're obviously going to look at the projects we have under construction, but we're starting another new project. And it's a client that basically came to him and said, I want you to build my house. Not like, can you, you know, give me a bid on this or can you do this? It's like, no, I want you to build my house. And it's when I go out there and I speak and, you know, it's, I've, I've learned that the tactic to builders now is to get around their whole bullshit of, you know, oh, that doesn't cut it here. You can't do that here. Well, I'll go there. And the first question I'll ask is, you know, is anybody in this room striving to be the most mediocre builder in town? <laughs> right. Is there anybody here that just wants to do vinyl siding for the rest of their life? not improve the, the, the construction or anything that they're doing. And that's fine. If you choose that, I'm just wondering, I'm just taking a poll. Of course, nobody's hands go up. And, uh, and then I say, well, that's good because now I don't have to listen to all your crap about how this isn't going to fly here. And that's not going to fly here. And we can actually talk about how you might choose to differentiate yourself in, uh, in this community. And Jake has done an exceptional job. I mean, the project that we're doing now, the people came to him and basically said, Jake, I want you to build the house. Those people are out there, right? And so you you have to, you know, people often say that to me. Well, you know, how did you become, you know, a high performance architect? I'm like, well, I stopped doing the other stuff because this is what I believed in. And I started telling people that this is what I do and started explaining to people why I do what I do, right. You know, in terms that they understood, right. You start talking building science. Sometimes you lose them. Sometimes yep. you have to use words that they understand. Like you want to build something that might not be very durable. You go right for it. That's not my thing. Why is there always enough time to do it again, but there's never enough time to do it right. The first time. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So, you know, from the builder perspective, it's like, 
that's a lot of money out if you're not tracking every time you had to go back and fix something and deal with something and you know it's falling apart or it's you know that's that's your liability so that's yeah. kind of scary um you know and then like why why would you hire an architect if what i did was something that you could do all day right like there's a reason why we do what we do we've learned we've trained yeah i mean i always say you know one of the you bring up a, another one because i have this nice little story that i tell clients you know we'll, we'll be talking about finishes and stuff and i actually had it last night with the with a couple we were chatting and uh I said, let me tell you the story of the $150 faucet that became a $500 faucet, right? You know, it's like, you can go there and say, wow, look at this Moen or Cohen Kohler faucet, 550 bucks. Boy, that's beautiful. But look at here, this other company makes it for 95 bucks. And, you know, I can upgrade to the 120 with this. And I say, okay, that's, that's valid. And we can, plumber can install it. But in about a year, you're going to call that plumber because that faucet is leaking. And he's going to say, yeah, for me to come out there, it's 150 bucks plus any time that I spend out there. And that's a two hour minimum. So we're probably looking at about 350 bucks or so to get me out there. And I sit there and say, okay, 150 for the faucet that you got at a really good price, plus the 350 for the plumber to come out and swap it out, which makes it even more than the $500. I said, you pretty much spent that $500. So why don't you just buy a really good kitchen faucet, right. you know, or, or that dining, that light that goes over the dining room table, that is not a 60 or $80 light. That is a $600 light or a thousand dollar light or more. But that's when you walk into the house, that's the first thing you see. You're you you need something there that is right for that space. But you do what you gotta do. Um but uh like, yeah. oh my electrical budget only only had what what's standard. I was like, so we've got one center light in every room. That's not gonna work for me. <laughs> yeah. And it's I always find it you know, I always find it really entertaining because I do, I do take what I do very personal. And I, you know, most of my clients I end up becoming friends with. Um, and, uh, you know, so like last night we're sitting there and the wife was asking, well, I just have no idea on like how to pick out lights and stuff. And I had a bunch of options, but I went to, uh, like, uh, Hubberton and Forge website love them. <laughs> yeah. So we're there and I'm flicking through and I'm saying, well, this is nice. And this is nice. And then finally the husband, he, he couldn't stand it anymore. He goes, Steve, he goes, are those really the numbers I'm looking at for that light fixture? I'm like, oh yeah, this is 2,800 bucks. And this one's $3,400. And he's like, okay. And of course the wife is like, oh my God, I really like that one. Look at it. Look at it. I like how those stainless steel bars and like <laughs> just totally oblivious to the $3,200 price tag attached to the light. It was all about, I like the way those lights are and that stainless steel and the cables come down and oh my God, that's so pretty. That would be just gorgeous over our dining room table. And I could see the husband just like fuming, like, how do I get us out of this conversation? So it's always, uh, it's always, it's always fun going down those those like roads. this is one light fixture we're not going to spend three thousand dollars on every light fixture here you know after watching david's presentation i mean i've been doing multi-level lighting for a while because 
lighting is one thing that really drives me crazy. You can design a beautiful house. If it is terrible lighting, then what was the point? Yeah. It's, it's always something it's, it's really, uh, I don't know that I guess that's part of why I love the job so much is that there's, there's always something different because everybody's has different personalities and different chats. And, you know, I, I have some clients that I've, I've gone out, you know, to dinner or whatever, like two years after. And it's like, Hey, let's just catch up. Cause it's like, I haven't seen you around and, you know, I haven't been able to talk to you, but let's, let's go out and grab a burger or something. And then we chat about the house and how it's going. And you get some of that little informal feedback of, yeah, you know, there's not much we would have changed. We might've would have done this or could have done that maybe a little bit better or rethought that, but it's, it's working out really well. And so you get that kind of feedback, but it's, uh, it's always exciting to see people, uh, you know, when they, when they get into the house or the first time they walk in that great room and it's like, Oh my God, this is everything I wanted. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I have, I have one client, they're an older couple. They've been in the house 28 years and this is their first remodeling job. And, and it's extensive. It's we're, we're into seven figures on remodeling this house. And uh, every time I go up there, she's like, Oh my God, Steve, I can't even tell you how beautiful this is. <laughs> and I said, I, I, I keep teasing her. I said, Joy, you know, I'm getting really, really irritated with the fact that every time I talk to you, you're surprised at how good things look. Like, <laughs> what was your expectation that you were going to walk in here and hate it? And all of a sudden you love it. I'm like, of course had a heart attack. I had one client say to me after the project was finished, does it look the way you expected it to? And I was like, yeah, does it look the way you expected it to? And they're like, no, but it's so much better. And I'm like, oh, thank God that could have gone either way. Like, yeah. what, what, what was your expectation here? What, what did what, you, what the hell were you thinking? <laughs> or, or the client that like you have a design meeting, they come back at the next meeting and they have their own floor plan and then they, they go through, they rattle it all off. And then they go, what do you think? And I'm like, okay, how do I answer this? Cause if I really thought that was a good idea, I probably would have drawn it like that, but I don't think that's a good idea. So if you're asking me what I think, so then I tried to turn it into a joke and they say, well, what do you think? And I said, okay, if I'm answering you as your friend, I think you did a hell of a job and it looks pretty cool. But if you're asking me for an objective criticism from a guy that you're paying professionally to answer that question, I think that's a pretty dumb idea. And then, and then like the husband will pipe up. See, I told you, I told you, you should have never, I told you that it wasn't going to work that way. I don't know what you were thinking, why you wasted all that time. And it's like, Oh my God, here we go. Time to play marriage counselor. Yep. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, and that, that the one project there where the woman was like surprised all the time, the husband loved it because she had must've been thinking about this project for the last 20 years and, uh, driving him nuts because every time I pushed back, I could see him going, yeah, yeah, get it, get her, get her. I hate that color tile. Don't, don't let her put it in. And so the minute I said something, he's like, Hey, he's got a point. You know, he'd always say, he's got a point. I kind of like what he's saying. It's like, all right, we'll not use that. But, but it is, it is fun. I mean, they're, they're, they're probably some of my best clients and, 
And they're always like, you know, she's always like, you're always picking on me. I said, Joy, I said, that's because I love you. I said, the day I walk up here and you say hi and I don't say anything, that's the day you worry. Yeah, you should be concerned. The day that I'm talking to you and joking with you and laughing, that's that means everything is great. The, the, the day I don't talk to you, that's the day where you actually have a concern. So, but, uh, but no, it's, it's, that's coming out awesome. And that's a, that's a really great project. It's like one that like almost every opportunity we got to design something. I mean, design the insider for walk-in closet. Like we had a custom cabinet maker make whatever for her closet and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So it was, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun at that level, but it's also scary. I'm sure you've had this moment too, right? All architects. And I, I think I said this in one of the videos with Matt, it's like, you know, you finally get a client and they say, Oh, I want to build a 6,000 square foot house. I got 80 acres on the Atlantic coast up here in Gloucester. And it's like, okay, yes, finally. And then the whole drive home, you're like, Oh my God. I got to design a 6,000 square foot house on the coast of the ocean in Gloucester. Now it's like, man, it's like everything you asked for. And then it like the reality hits you and say, okay, now I actually have to deliver on that. You know, that's a lot different than doing someone's family room addition, you know, off their uh, small colonial, the 20 by 20 edition. It's like, all of a sudden this is, this is for real, but, uh, but it is exciting. It is exciting. It's like, I'll, I, I'll tell you the story of my first passive house. Um, like 20, yeah, 2010, it was 10, 11 years ago. And I get introduced to this gentleman. Um, someone said, oh yeah, Steve will be able to design a passive house for you. So we start talking and, and he brings up the topic of passive house and he goes, do you know what it is? And I, and I said, yeah, but before I had to say anything else, I said, just, just give me a minute. I got to make a pit stop. So go in the bathroom and I'm Googling like passive house in the bathroom going, oh my God, please give me something that I can go back out there. And so I go back out there and he's like, yeah, so we were talking about passive house. I said, oh yeah, it's this, uh, you know, German metric that uh, this woman over in Chicago, she brought out this way. It's the most strictest uh, building parameters, you know, that we know in the building industry. And there's an air tightness spec and an energy spec and all of this stuff. And he's like, well, what do you think? And I'm like, yeah, we can, we can figure that out. I'm, I'm pretty confident in that. But uh, it was funny. It's like I walked into that meeting. I didn't even know what Passive House was. And I walked out of there with a contract to design a Passive House for this guy because I went in the bathroom and Googled what the hell is Passive House. But, uh, but anyways, you know, that's, uh, that's the, the, the architect that's overconfident. Yeah, I can figure this out. I'll figure that out. But it's 80% personality and 20%, you know, the, the skill and the people, you know, right. So you didn't know what passive house was, but you had a lot of people who you could go back to rely on to say, all right, you know, how do I make this happen? And I think that's, um, yeah, how do we figure this out or what how do, do we figure this? this out? Right. Cause it's really, it's just a puzzle on the people mm -hmm. that, you know, and, and that's, um, 
in my classes and stuff, I'll often say, you know, it can be open book. I, you know, I don't even care because if you memorize something, you're never going to remember this over the long term. You need to know how to find the information, not memorize the information. So, you know, that. And a lot of people's success. I mean, I think a lot, a lot of my success, honestly, is I know a lot of people. Like, I don't have to know what the perm rating is on this or that, or I don't have to have all this stuff. I can, I can text two or three people and get an answer to almost any question right? really quick. It's about your um, network. Yeah. You know, and, and who do you know? And can, how quickly can you, and is it the right information, which is well, also that's true, critical. right? <laughs> right. There's one thing about getting information, but it's, you, you have to make sure you're getting the right information. Um, when you're asking those questions so or how much information do you want back right because i'm pretty sure if you ask coda you get a spreadsheet and uh very detailed i don't i don't want to come down on coda but i can't even tell you how i won't say frustrating but how like we would sit there and and it's like i know the question i have to ask and coda sat one level up like he would look over the balcony down at me and I would sit there and go, okay, I have to ask Coda. I just need a rough size on this return duct. He doesn't do size. rough size. <laughs> yeah. Coda doesn't do rough size. Exactly. It's like Coda. And he, like you have to have a prelude to the questions. Like Coda, I don't want a litany. I don't need a, a thesis on this. I just need your best guess in about five seconds. What? do we need for a size for this return or the main return in this house, blah, blah, blah. Oh, well, let me take a look. And it's like 25 minutes later, he comes <laughs> down and he's got like three sizes. Oh, it can be 18 by 20, or it could be 17 by, you know, 22 or this. And, and he's going on and he's like, well, then the velocity of the grill, we got to make sure that it's this high. And it's like, Jesus code. I go, I don't even know if we're going to build this house or if that duct is going to go in there. So we, we didn't need to really design the grill and do all this stuff. I just needed a rough size. I just but needed to right. know if it would fit in this area, or if it's going to be twice as big. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I tell people, I say the way I, the way I uh, comment on Coda is Coda is the closest person I know to a living computer. <laughs> Like when you ask them a question, you can like, like you can see the lights and everything just start going. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, and it's, and you can just see like thousands of processes. Like he's, he's trying to validate this and compute that and question this. And then there's these whole side of questions and it's like, you can just see it at work and it's like, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, I mean, he's a great guy. He's, I, I, I mean, he is, yeah, probably, I don't know if I've met anybody smarter or more intellectually talented. I mean, we would have Christmas parties and we would say we'd have a piano. Coda's a hell of a musician too, hmm. but he's never taken like music lessons, right? So we'd say, okay, play this song. And he'd be like, huh. And you could see him, he'd go, do, 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 do. okay. And then he'd just sit there and start playing. Like he would hum a few bars and understand what the melody is and then somehow in that next three seconds he translated that into his fingers batting keys across the piano (laughs) and it's like oh my god it's like i i wouldn't even know where to put the first finger on jingle bells 
and I've sang, sung the song for 50 years and I couldn't even tell you, but he is, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was a really treat. It was a, it was a, a, a true privilege there. And, you know, when, when you get older and you look back at your life, it's, it's real easy to kind of spot the, uh, the people in your life that are, are highlighted. Um, I still, you know, we were talking earlier about how you got in architecture. Um, I remember going to my first drafting class in high school and, you know, the school I went to, it's like everybody in the drafting class were seniors trying to get out of going to some other class, right? They were taking it because it's the easy class and they, the teacher's name was Goodrich, but we all called them G and G would just give, a's and b's like just show up and draw and you'll you're going to pass my class right you're going to get the credit for it but i showed up as a freshman so i walk in the door and he's like what are you doing here and i'm like i'm here to take your drafting class he goes but you're a freshman and i'm like yeah he goes freshmen don't take my class he goes seniors trying to get out of shit take my class not like, but i'm actually interested in this uh, but I, I was and and, and we we did become extremely good friends to the point that I still talk to them. Like I text them on my phone. I'll send them pictures of projects. Um, if I write an article for like fine home building, I, I, when I was up back home and I grew up in the Berkshires, um, I would get a copy and I would just throw it in his mailbox and, and put a little post it and say, Hey, check out this article. And, uh, and we still talk and I still have the wooden scale, which was the scale that I got as a freshman in high school. I still use it to this day. It's down on my drafting table. And I, and, you know, I always tease Lexi. I go that you'll know the day I retire, the day I put the scale in your hands. <laughs> Until then you can't touch it. <laughs> Until then you're not allowed to touch it. So, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting that there's all these, these people, I, I place a ton of value on, all of those people, I, I could probably, and, and that, you know, of course you have your parents and your siblings and, you know, my wife and that those are the ones that, yeah, of course they're going to help you, but it's who are the people that helped you in life that definitely didn't have a need to help you. Like they could have just as easily turned their back as they did, as they could of offering any assistance or just having a conversation with you that, that changed your life. And it's like, I got to meet some really exciting people in my life. And some of the conversations stand out. I, I tell everybody, you know, I, it's people are like, you always have a story. And it's like, cause I, I think my whole life has been about trying to create stories. That's just like, I wake up every day and I say, let's write another chapter to the book. And, but I remember this one conversation where I actually had a, a, I got to go to this function and in, in this, this was in the Marine Corps, but the guy I was chatting with was actually there watching the flag, the flag raising. Like it's the most iconic picture ever taken. It's the most widely used photo ever used. And like to hear this guy tell the story of how he was there that day. And he told it from like a true Marine perspective, not like in all the glory of the photo, but it's like, yeah, Jesus Christ. If I known you were going to, I was going to get as famous as Jimmy and Tommy, I would have got off my lazy ass and put my hand on the flagpole. 
and got my picture taken, you know, and then that's how you tell the story, but you're just sitting there and going like right there. It's like those five guys became instantly famous for raising that flagpole, but there were literally hundreds of guys that fought in that battle, sitting around watching them raise the flag Mm -hmm. that nobody knows their name. Yep. Right. Or you mentioned McDonald's. I don't don't know. There's a big documentary about like food in America and they were talking, but the, the the name the big mac was actually ray Kroc's secretary like he was he wanted to call it the blue ribbon burger or something and <laughs> she's the one that just like out of the blue said why don't you call it the big mac and that's where it came from she was like a 21 year old secretary that just blurted out common sense and it's become like the most iconic burger in the world mm. right so it's 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 always interesting to me how these these stories get knitted into life um and in how our own personal lives get knitted into that that giant quilt of all the people that come in and out of our lives and that we work with and clients and you know it's really interesting so yeah i agree i thought maybe that's a thing with architects right it's it's these personal relationships the stories that you hear the network that you build the buildings that you design i don't know it's a it's but there is that handful of architects that like fight it tooth and nail every step of the way and it's like why are you in this business if you can't have a social conversation with your client or you can't laugh and joke with them or you know i don't don't, like people why are you an architect yeah why are you doing this i don't i don't i don't follow that but yeah but anyway it's uh it's, it's it's very interesting to me it's uh and it's a it's a treat i i love what i do yeah um, me too me too I, I think the the interesting part for me a friend um a family friend got married this past weekend had a very small ceremony and there were six of us in the room and we were talking about work and my mother-in-law says to me i think you're the only person in this room that likes your job it, it is. I, I know so many people that just hate what they're doing. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that hit me really early on is that even as a young architect, I never thought about retirement. Like I never thought that it existed in what, in my future, yeah. like I'm never going to retire. Somehow I'm going to just, I might do less. I might vacation more. I might travel a little bit. I might, go out and play with a frisbee and my dogs more often than i have but i am never gonna stop drawing something or thinking about how a building gets put together my husband said what'd you do if we won the lottery he's like i'd quit my job and i was like oh i definitely wouldn't quit my job i might do it differently than how i'm doing it now but i definitely wouldn't stop doing what i'm doing oh yeah i'd run like 4,000 square feet where I could skateboard in the office or something and, <laughs> you know, have, have fun stuff where it's like, okay, let me take a break here. I'm going to go skateboard in my little custom skateboard park inside the office. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't stop what I'm doing. I would just look at it totally different. And yeah. there might be like a month in Maui where I bring, yeah, I would definitely travel more. Think about that or, you know, so that'll be uh that but i would never i I don't ever see me quitting which is good and it's funny because lexi's like dad you can't quit now she's like i need you (laughs) you're like i don't i don't plan on it yeah your brother still has two more years i'm good 
<laughs> you got two more years and then you get to deal with him. She is, uh, she is, uh, she's a hot ticket. She don't put up with him. He, he's he's like the kind of brother, like we would be driving somewhere and she'd be like, dad, he's touching me. And it's like, so you turn around and you yell at him and he would literally like put his finger like an eighth of an inch from her and just hold it there. <laughs> and she'd be like, dad, he's touching. And he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not touching her, but it's like an eighth of an inch away from her face, but yeah. he's not touching her. He isn't actually touching her. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, but yeah, I, I can, I can sympathize with that. I mean, I wasn't the, I wasn't the best child growing up. So, but, uh, my parent, I was the sixth of my parents. So they were, uh, well, uh, well into knowing what it is to have a child by the time I came around. So <laughs> there's only two of us and, uh, we're really close. So, um, and my dad, I think is the kind of person that would be like, yeah, you want to go do that? Go ahead. You'll figure out that that's a dumb idea at some point. My mom would say that too, but she would be like, go outside first, then try it again. Don't do it yeah. in the house. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that in here. But, well, it was yeah. great talking to you. We could probably talk all day. Uh, yeah, like, maybe one next time we'll come on and we'll actually talk about building science or something. Oh, well, we could do that. <laughs> maybe next time. So I'd love to have you back anytime that you want to come on here. It's fun. Yeah, to we'll, find a, we'll find a time. Yeah. I, I, I love doing this, but I think, yeah, next time we can talk a little bit more about building science and, and the decisions that we make and stuff. But I think it's really good that people get to just talk about, because I mean, I know a lot of architects, but I don't know a lot of architects, mm -hmm. you know, I assume that they experience the same things I do, but one of the problems of being a sole proprietor is, is you're kind of locked in your own little world, right? which is a good thing, but it's a bad thing because you don't know, am I doing it right? Am I doing it the best I can? Should I be doing something different? Does everybody else experience these same nightmare clients? Does everybody else have these same crazy people running around in meetings? Right. Cause you see all the glossy pictures in the magazine and you think, Oh, everything must've gone perfectly. Like that looks yes. great. <laughs> what am I doing wrong that I got this wacko, but Anyways, but no, it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah, sure. It's been fun. Thanks for tuning in for season three of the podcast. If you want more information on the guests, check out the show notes. If you want to contact me with a question, a comment, or a suggestion for the show, reach out emily at matramarch.com. You can find me on Instagram, matramarch, or on LinkedIn, Emily Matram. And you can find me on Thursday nights at the BS and Beer Show. So come join us live one week. Until then, stay nerdy.